It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 121, If My People. Proverbs 16.10 The lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth does not betray justice. After seven years of construction, Solomon completes the temple project. Upon its completion, he summoned the elders of Israel, and the Bible says all of the Israelites came together from the grand opening of the temple. A procession was made from Gibeah, with the sanctified items from the tabernacle, and a separate procession was made with the Levites carrying the ark from David's tent to the temple of Jerusalem. The Bible states there was such sacrificing of so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. 1 Kings 8.6 The priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. Interesting thing that I cannot fail to notice was the verbal use of the word spread here. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark. This could be personification of the cherubim to make it sound like the ark was placed under their wings. But I find it strange, almost like there was some supernatural event here where the wings of the statues were extended supernaturally. And if this was the case, that would have been pretty awesome. But there's a whole lot up for interpretation right here. Now we arrive at another interesting thing of note, and it relates to the ark. Check it out. 1 Kings 8, 9. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came up out of Egypt. This leads to the obvious question, where is Aaron's staff and the manna, the jar of manna? I normally try to answer, provide potential answers to these mysterious areas of the Bible, but honestly, I haven't been able to find an answer to where they went, much less any good symbolic meaning. So for a change, I'm going to leave it here. A mystery that the staff of Aaron and the jar of manna are missing from this point in Israel's history. Who knows, maybe the Philistines thought they were worthless, so they throw them out. And someday, some farmer with a shovel will find the jar of manna and the actual substance of God's supernatural provision. Who knows? Save that for the fiction writers out there one day. As for the ark... It is brought into the temple. David's musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their descendants worshipped before God, and 120 Levites blew their trumpets. It must have been incredible with all those worshippers, David's actual worshippers, these gray-haired guys still going at it, and 120 Levites blowing shofars. The Levites and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to God, accompanied by all sorts of worshipers as well, as they sang, He is good. His love endures forever. What happened next was fantastic. The Levites placed down the Ark of the Covenant 
And as they left the Holy of Holies, the Lord filled the temple. 1 Kings 8.10 When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. A glory cloud overtook the temple at its grand opening. The glory cloud, like the old days, God was filling his temple with his presence. And if the priests couldn't do their service, there must have been a physical weight to the glory, which prevented normal activities. I picture the priest who dropped off the ark were ushered out by the glory cloud, and the remaining Levites in the outer court were forced to stop their sacrifices, which is only a setup for later. I get the take that there was moments of silence, and who knows how long everyone stared in awe at the glory cloud. Now this is where Solomon the king steps into the place of national intercessor and prays for himself, his people, the nation, and their descendants, and steps into the verse at the beginning of the episode of a king being an oracle. With the cloud overhanging the temple mount and overshadowing the grand opening of the temple, a wind probably swirling around them, Solomon stands up tall and speaks to the elders and later the people. Solomon, who appears to be a man of many words, not surprising considering the wisdom he possesses, declares he has built this temple for God. His language is filled with a tremendous amount of personal pronouns, and he boasts to the temple structure and dedicates it to God. Solomon begins his declaration towards the temple and later turns towards the people. 1 Kings 8.23 Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is this day. So you get the feel it's a dialogue between Solomon and God, but it will soon change. 1 Kings 8.25 Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. The dialogue continues, but watch how it turns from a king devoted to God to an intercessor all of a sudden, overwhelmed by the presence of God and his responsibility to his people, whose language turns prophetic in nature. It starts almost personal and turns regional or tribal and later national. This is where it appears he turns around in front of the whole assembly of Israel and later kneels and cries out to God as he spreads out his hands towards heaven and speaks to God on behalf of his people. And before we get to his intercession, try to picture these words coming out of a heart of compassion with a man on his knees screaming, crying out to God with the temple behind him and the glory crowd above him and wind swirling all around. 1 Kings 8.27 But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. 
Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place in which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done, and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. And when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. Doesn't the language of Solomon here remind you of the way Moses used to speak? Even when he spoke about future kings, it's almost like he saw the future. Solomon here declares the future consequences of Israel's sin. And what's scary is that one could study this list for months and try to tie it to cause and effects, even our world today. For the law of God is the wisdom of God, and the causes and effects can only be atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Darkness has legal rights when through sin man surrenders their right to God's blessing and protection which can only be atoned for by the blood of Jesus, and in the time of the Old Testament, the temporary coverings of the blood sacrifices. Next, Solomon addresses famines and wars, foreigners, God's glory, and his presence. It's just a beautiful petition to God by a king upon his knees before his nation. 1 Kings 8.35 When the heavens are shut up, and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, and when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, forgive and act, deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors." So that's Solomon's prayer related to a future famine, and the course is clear. National sin leads to tragedy, and prayer and repentance calls upon the heart of God, and Solomon's prayer is that God in heaven hears the cry of his people answering their prayer. I love how he declares that when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, then hear from heaven. It's cool to me to see the power of a single prayer in this statement. Solomon goes on to speak of blessing foreigners and teaching and showing God's glory to them, even warfare. He even speaks of captivity, which is crazy. 1 Kings 8.46 When they sin against you, then there is 
no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them, and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive in their own lands, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead to you in the land of their captors, and say, We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, pray to you towards the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you, and cause their captors to show them mercy." For they are your people and your inheritance, who you brought up out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace. It's really a powerful prophetic scene as he finishes his petition. And Second Chronicles adds something even more amazing. I mean amazing. Second Chronicles 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. It's absolutely astounding considering that out of the cloud, fire came down and burned up all the sacrifices that the Levites couldn't complete before. In response, there must have been a long, silent, amazing moment until everyone was infused with action as the worshippers started again and the Levites got busy with their sacrifices and Solomon stands up to bless the whole assembly. I really love his final blessing. Here it is. 1 Kings 8:54. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where they had been kneeling with his hands spread out towards heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice, saying, Praise be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him, and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he has gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, and there is no other. May your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands. At this point, Solomon and the Levites dedicate the temple and sacrifice fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. Yep, that's what the Bible says. Just for the heck of it, take the average cost of $1,000 per head of cattle and $100 per sheep or goat. The dollar equivalent of this sacrifice was $34 million in livestock, which is just crazy. And it's such a sign of their absolute abundance in all that they have. And this was just part of the sacrifice on that day. The assembly went on for a long time. 1 Kings 8, 
65. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, and all Israel with them, a vast assembly, people from Laboth Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days, and seven days more, fourteen days in all, and on the following day he sent the people away. They blessed the king, and they went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we just discussed this amazing moment. It was a truly powerful moment with the temple completion, the dream of David, the magnificence of the temple project, the assembly of millions of people, a worshipful and humble king, God's presence and confirmation by cloud and fire, and the prophetic intercession of Israel's king. And if this wasn't enough, God comes to Solomon again and visits him. Before we cover the visitation, let's consider Solomon's declarations. In Solomon's declaration, he prophesied the next 400 years or more of Israel's history. As we advance in the kings of Israel, we'll see this in full fulfillment. Israel's sin will lead to physical disasters, while faithfulness will result in physical blessings. It'll be amazing to see the direct consequences of sin result in physical manifestations of evil and disaster and misfortune. Faithfulness to God will lead to substantial blessings and abundance. Now, it will rarely be a perfect one-to-one comparison. Consider it more like a seed-planting venture. You'll be Israel's faithfulness will plant a healthy seed in the soil, while sin will put dark seeds in the soil. You never know the true return as well with each of the seeds, but there's a true multiplier of harvesting applied, a good harvest or bad harvest, and some harvests have even generational delays. Along the way, there is the faithful and the unfaithful, and the prophets and the kings working together or against each other. But God's trump card is always there for those who believe, and it is spelled out by God in Solomon's second encounter, which comes after he completes his palace 13 years later. And you can't help but notice Solomon has another encounter at night. God really loves to visit Solomon at night. Second Chronicles 7.11 When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, My eyes will be open and ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I coveted with David your father, When I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. 
So for clarity, many have made the fault, and I have, of stating Solomon made the declaration, if my people who are called by my name. It was Solomon who asked God to hear from heaven, but it was God who said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is God's national trump card. And it's not for the wicked, but for Christians who are called by Jesus Christ's name. Christians who believe in Jesus Christ must humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from wickedness, and God will hear from heaven and forgive and heal their land. We actually covered this in our Sodom and Gomorrah episode, when ten righteous people was enough for God to avert judgment. This is the most common verse applied year after year on the National Day of Prayer, considering the moral decline of the United States, and it's for good reason. It was delivered by the King of Israel at its highest point of prosperity in all of world history, and by the King considered the wisest man to walk the earth with the exception of Jesus. So much more should we in America follow Solomon's lead. To wrap this up, I want to take this to a micro level and go back to one specific piece of Solomon's petition. Take note how Solomon empowered the prayers of anyone. 1 Kings 8.38 And when a prayer or petition is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven Who knows the power of one man or woman's prayer? As I've studied this section of the Bible, and I've read these verses, I've come to understand more of the responsibility we carry to have an authentic walk with God, to keep those around me just by doing these actions from trouble and darkness, and to pray for our land and our region and those around us. For it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And it was Solomon who prayed that if just one man or woman prayed or pleaded with God by anyone, that God would hear from heaven. His cry was that if anyone prayed, God would hear from heaven. And those in the land would fear God because of these prayers. Let us never forget it is our role to pray for those around us and to those who don't believe, and that God's blessing would heal and rest upon our land, and the people would fear the name of the Lord, because we've humbled ourselves and prayed. So here we are at the end of the episode, and the commandment of God is for us to pray and to humble ourselves and pray. And I've prayed and prayed about how to end this episode because I've read so many books and, and I've seen this verse so many times. And I was wanting for some kind of maybe fresher revelation or something. But the reason why I can't get anything else to add to this episode is because I'm supposed to pray.
because <laughs> that's the command, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and heal their land. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask you to join me on your own. And I'm praying from the United States and wherever you are. Say you're in Ethiopia or Asia, you know, or Canada, Australia. Pray for your country, and God will heal your land, because he said, anyone. Jesus, we just we just come to you right now and we just say we come to you in in humble submission, God. And we just say forgive us for our sins, our individual sins, God. We come to you and we seek your face. We ask you to clean our land by the blood of Jesus. Ask you for your blessing and your reigns, God. And when there are famines, you said, we may seek you, God, and you will end famines. When there is drought, we may seek you and you will end drought. God, forgive us of our sins. Even as a nation, forgive us of our sins. Clean us by your blood and release your abundant blessings and show us your love to those around us, God. Reveal yourself to myself and those around us and those that listen and those that pray, God. Reveal yourself. Pour out your spirit, God, like you never have before. Confirm your words, God, with your cloud, with your fire, Visit us in the night, God. Reveal yourself to your servants, God. And heal our land. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the Proverbs of Solomon. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.